Have you ever wondered which country has exported some of the largest amounts of intangible goods in the whole world? Did you know that there are over 1.5 billion English speakers on our planet? That's nearly 19% of the global population. So, as you may have already guessed, today we are diving into a country situated on an island known as Great Britain. Its correct and full name is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Apart from exporting its language, this country itself is an exporter's dream, being the sixth largest economy globally and the second largest in Europe, just after Germany. Another interesting fact, the UK is home to over 5 million businesses with a staggering 99% of them falling under the category of small and medium enterprises. While this provides a vast pool of potential clients, it also means that you will be facing some fierce competition. Hi, I am Dmitro Švets, your host at the Start Global Insights, where I interview experts in different countries about local business secrets and international expansion experience. My guest today is Anne Gatt. She is the head of marketing and business development at Jambrone and Partners in a multi-jurisdictional international law firm. Anne has over 30 years of experience in business development and marketing in the UK. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the show. Hello, Dimitri. Could you tell uh, our listeners a bit about your business background? My background? Well, I have had two careers. I worked with my husband in, a, in our family business for a considerable time. So I understand commerce. I understand how hard it can be to acquire clients and customers and the difficulties and payments and things of that sort. Very important. And then I went into law firm marketing. So I also have that other aspect to that knowledge that over a long time and, and I've seen the changes in the, in the markets and markets change all the time. So, and you have to keep up with that. From your perspective, from your uh, like experience, uh, your idea, uh, what would you suggest or advise uh, to a new exporter that is uh, looking to enter the UK market? What should be kind of a roadmap or steps uh, that uh, they should make? Well, I think initially the, the, the UK market is very, very wide and you need to have as much knowledge as you can. So judge the size of your sector of the market there. Choose where you're going to, where you're going to, if you're going to actually set up in the UK, choose where you're going to set up in the capital or one of the other cities or one of the other countries like Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland. Find out all the costs involved. Do not be surprised by anything. Do not find that when you're halfway there and you put a lot of effort into it, that actually the commercial rents are beyond your abilities or you don't want to, you don't want to consider them. And also make sure you are very au fait with the regulatory and compliance issues in this country because just recently, relatively recently, the government has introduced laws aimed at foreign companies in the UK to prevent money laundering and other kinds of breaches. So they've now got other sort of uh, things, steps you have to take and laws that you have to abide by. Compliance and regulatory things are very important. I mean, from the Bribery Act to the other acts that they brought in where you have to register a company's house and you have to, re- not only do you register, you obviously company's house is where you actually register your company, but now you have to put the provenance of all the directors. So they will they could be rejected if one of your directors doesn't have quite the right background. So you need to know all that, but also know your rivals before you start 
too much expense and too much cost. Know the rivals, know what you're up against, and know how you can, whether you can match it, how you can make us, how to differentiate yourself. You mentioned that uh, you should choose even the city uh, that you are entering. So it is not always that you should go to London straight straight ahead. Not necessarily. It really depends on your industry sector. There are certain things that might do better in other countries. Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool are prominent um, cities and and have a thriving commercial activity there. London obviously is the capital and it might be a starting point while you sound out the country. In the, the, one of the new visas that um, have been introduced is a global business mobility visa, where you can send up to five people from your home country's uh, business to come to the UK. They can live and work at, at sort of judging the market and finding out, so they can make all the connections, they can do all sorts of things. You need to have a, a sponsor, But other than that, it's a massive advantage in that you can have a look around the market, see who's there, see what the rivals are, all kinds of things, before you actually put the capital investment into opening up here. I didn't actually know about this um, uh, global mobility visa. uh, So it should be applied by the company that uh, is willing to, is looking to, to enter, yeah? Yes, you have to have the intention of setting up here. I mean, there are certain there, there are criteria that you have to, for all visas, you can't have a criminal record. You've got to have enough finance to support yourself, that sort of thing. Health insurance, all most visas have those sort of criteria. But, um, and you need a sponsor. So it's known that you are serious in your intention. You're just trying to get in the country through the back door or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. Great. This is a really great uh, thought to to do that uh, in in person. Yeah. So uh, it it will give a, a lot more uh, potential and uh, understanding of the of the market uh, in advance. So before you are entering that. From your experience, when uh, when companies are entering UK, uh, do they make some com- common mistakes uh, when they uh, enter the market, or uh, what 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 do they do not do uh, and they should do? Well, I think it's most important with your with your website. You've got to make a, a good, strong website, one that that um, catches the eye. But if and all and other marketing materials, but if you write them in proper English, that it doesn't shout out that you're not English. So perhaps it would be better to get an agency. I mean, that's no, it's not a reflection on the on the foreign companies. It's just that you will be better received and and have a, a slick brochure if you're going to have a brochure. That looks like it's had some thought. You know, again, an agency will help. But make sure if you do choose an agency that they have experience in your sector. But it's no good if they've never worked with, I don't know, furniture makers or, or something like that. You've got to have. They've got to know the sector well enough that they can make suggestions and guide you in the right direction. And by by the agency, you mean uh, the local marketing agencies, uh, communication agencies, or the agent that will be like uh, sales uh, sales representative for you? Agencies are set up specially to help you with that particular thing, whether it's designing your brochure. You know, they're they're national companies. Very often, they might be you know they're small, but they will they will design for everybody anywhere. And the agencies that will help you with the other, other types of marketing, other agencies will help you with pay-per-click campaigns and things of that sort. But again, you have to choose them carefully that they know the market you're in. And you, you mentioned that um, it is important to have a brochure 
should it be in paper or it is okay already to have it in, in digital form? Is it still uh, needed to have this paper uh, brochure uh, in England? I mean, obviously everything's moving on, on digitally and, and so on, so that it's not absolutely vital, but it will give people something tangible. But don't make a not a, big, a very brief, lightweight. If someone is not going to carry away your brochure, they've got to hold it in their arms and then it goes in the pocket of a briefcase, a, a small, just a quick overview, but a, a, a slick brochure, something that looks good. You, you may as well use all the tools in the tools kit rather than just one. And do you feel still this this, this difference when you are uh, making business uh, within uh, England, Wales, or Scotland, or um, uh, or other parts of of the UK? Yeah. So, uh, is there do you feel this difference in the business culture? Uh, yeah, they are different cultures and um, also different law. Each is England and Wales law, Scot Scottish and Northern Ireland, which is separate from Southern Ireland. So they're all different, mostly the same. I mean, there's not too many differences, but you have to bear that in mind. If you're having, where you're writing your contracts, England and Wales is considered to be a very good jurisdiction to have all your all various things in your contract, like how disputes are dealt with. It's considered a better environment than elsewhere. So it's probably wise to put those and the various contractual um, clauses that, that apply that will be easier to to um, invoke in English law. You need to, again, you have to do research if you decide Scotland's the place for you. In terms of uh, uh, finding uh, and, and promoting, so communicating about your product uh, and finding these first clients, uh, B2B clients, uh, what what kind of strategies uh, would you suggest for that? It depends on the, again on the sector of the type. If you're tendering for for business, or you want to get on a panel for a large company, then you really need to know everything you possibly can about that company. Know its history, its reputation, its its successes and failures, what their future plans are. Know who all the, the, the decision makers are, which decision maker you're going to be deal, dealing with, who's above them, who's below them. If you know a lot and show that you have an interest in the company, you understand the company, you know its problems, you know the problems of the sector and you have solutions to them perhaps, or at least you can, you, or, or you can flag up problems before they start, that will make you very much a, a better prospect for, for that company. And also, when you, if you get into the company, keep close to those people, the above, below, the, the assistants, everybody. Don't ignore the rising stars. Don't ignore the assistants, because when they move on, they will be the decision maker next. So keep them all in the fold and make sure that you're pleasant to everyone. It's, it's about the long-term thinking, yeah? So think, think in the long-term way. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, you've got to. And also, if you, if you don't get the tender that time, you don't get the contract, we don't find, then you, you step back. Don't lose touch with them because sooner or later, and things can happen, things can change all the time. You need to go to, you need to attend their events if they have events, join them if necessary. So you keep very much in touch with the UK's attitude towards your sector and what's happening there and what the, what the good and bad views are of it. And then try and also leverage your own professional advisors. You will doubtless have an accountant. You'll probably have a lawyer. They also have a network of people and their own clients. So try and get introductions from them. And if you recommend it, obviously, that's much better than just cold calling and trying to get in the door without having some someone saying these are good people. 
It looks like also from your words that uh, the personal relation uh, relationship with uh, with people in UK is uh, quite important. Face to face networking is important, very important, because that's where you can make your impression, and that's where there are a number of organisations pitch your services or products to them. You know, in a the UK businesses don't really like lots of boast uh, marketing. They they prefer. I can walk the talk. This is what I can do. I can show you my success. I can show you how I've done this. But if you keep saying I'm the best in the world, they will they'll just cross you off the list. They will not believe it. You might be, but they won't believe it because unless you can show and demonstrate what you've done. You should plan not only the digital communication, but also this personal touch and a lot a lot of visits and uh, and travel yeah, to to UK. Well, how about the video calls? Is it uh, more or less acceptable uh, within the culture? Oh yes, yes. If you want to send um, emails, if you have a, a newsletter or something you want to send out, I would advise that the first one you send because you probably you shouldn't really send anything without permission. But if the first one you send says. I would like to send you this, and this is information that you might be interested in. If you do not wish this, fine, you know, you'll be taken off the list. Then I don't think you'll go too far wrong. I don't think there'll be any problem there. But it's, it's always wise to make sure that you have permission. And there are certain, there are organizations, Chambers of Commerce, the Institute of Directors, places like that, where the members have given permission. So you can target them. There's, there's no problem with that. They, they have agreed that they can be contacted by other members or anybody. I suggest to my clients when they are going to the country, then prior to proposing something, they should talk to their potential clients. So to understand their pains and uh, jobs to be done. And in order to do that, they should contact and find this uh, local um, people to talk to. Uh, is it... Um, easy to reach the decision makers via internet or linkedin or uh, emails uh, or, or you should you should call to the main office how would you uh, advise to do that no direct contact is better to the to the well, find out who the decision maker is and sometimes companies can be a bit evasive the large companies because they get lots and lots of people trying to to help them trying to get them to take their services so I think that if it's a, if there's a situation like a panel, then just say, when's the next review? Don't say, I want to be on it now, because they'll probably say, well, we don't, you know, we've got them. We've got our panel already. And then you, you get off onto the wrong foot. Once you've met someone, you're going to be more memorable. How, how this um, uh, establishing of this personal contact should be, is it, should, should it be more formal, like this uh, conferences and uh, networking type of um, activities or... Uh, is it okay just to, uh, I don't know, invite to some pub to drink a beer and uh, know each other better? Mm, I think you probably start with formality and start with you know through organisations, and then once you've perhaps met someone two or three times, then you can suggest a lunch. People will perhaps have a coffee with you eight o'clock in the morning if you don't mind that. And what about the exhibitions, uh, the uh, the um, trade shows? Uh, is it still popular uh, in Britain? That's obviously sector dependent. If if that's something that um, taking a stand or just visiting, I would suggest you visit. The only problem with the exhibitions they tend to be annual, so you visit one year and then decide whether you want to exhibit the next year. Exhibitions is are they expensive? If especially if you've got to buy and construct a stand, you've got to staff it. 
you've got to have all the marketing materials. So it's not a cheap avenue. So you, I, I would always suggest going and visiting one to make sure because you could go to one, there's just not enough footfall. It's not enough. It's not warranted. So you've got to be sure you're going to get a return on investment. Coming back to the negotiations and uh, talking to your potential clients, uh, when you negotiate, in, in, and I, I think this negotiation culture in Britain is very old one. Yeah? So it's like uh, for ages, uh, people were trained to negotiate. Uh, what should you consider as a foreigner? Is there any peculiarities that you should know before you are going in negotiation with uh, local uh, businesses? I would always suggest that you know the threats that may be coming, that you can then offer that information so that they can think, all right, this, this, this company may very well help us out a lot more than our existing one because they've got their eye on the horizon and they know what's, what may or may not be coming. Threats are the thing that people are more concerned about than advantages because they can see them a mile away and they can take advantage of themselves of what any good things that are coming along. But they don't want to be caught out by something that they haven't expected. And when when do you uh, when you are meeting with some uh, potential clients, yeah, and uh, you have these first meetings, uh, is it uh, common to have these quick decisions on the first meeting? What you should consider in mind when you are starting negotiations? Should be be prepared for the long run, or it it could be like a quick win? Always prepare for the long run. <laughs> always prepare. Always ex expect maybe the lead time will be not that quick. If it isn't, that's lovely. That's really lucky. It could, it could be, I mean, in my experience, sometimes it can be as long as six months, sometimes even longer. And um, is it uh, so that when um, uh, when people in your country say no uh, in the negotiations, uh, it is it means no or it, it means like yes or maybe and vice versa? It depends. Ask them why. Ask them, oh, right, so we're not suitable now. Is that because of or try and get them to tell you why you haven't one day contract that time. And they usually will. They usually will. And then if it's just because we've already got a supplier and we wait, you know, that contract lasts another six months and you know you can and always ask if you ask permission, can I well, can I come back and, and try again? They will say yes, they may say no. But I mean, never let go of anyone completely. It, it, if you shut the door because you're cross because you haven't got the contract or fall out of in some minor way then you have it much harder than to get back. So the advice is do not shut the door ever. <laughs> and uh, what about the small talk or weather talk? Is it still common? In, uh, is it still in place? Should we consider that? Yes, you have to do a bit of that. <laughs> I think you have to do a little bit of that. You can sort of show that you have shown an interest in the person as well as the company. And if you have some similar interests, then that, that's a, it never hurts. It always helps. I have uh, uh, searched through internet some stereotypes about uh, UK uh, business people. Uh, and if we could play this kind of game, I will tell you the stereotype and you could say me uh, true or false. Right, okay. The first one, yeah. People in the UK are very formal. It includes using proper etiquette, maintaining respectful demeanor, and adhering to established protocols and hierarchies. Well, that's a difficult one because we have um, certain... Chief executives that seem to enjoy drinking culture and rather unfortunate behaviour. You wouldn't necessarily say was formal. Can't go wrong with the formal approach. You can always weaken it, but if you go in shouting, yelling, and you know behaving strangely, 
you can't then suddenly become formal. You can never offend anyone by calling them Mr. So-and-so, but you can offend people by calling them by their first name or they haven't invited you to use it. I, I hope I didn't do that with you because I, I, I think that I called you Anne in the first <laughs> email. Just accustomed to, to, to this uh, American style of conversation. Well, yes. I mean, you know, Americans will do that. They'll look at your credit card when they're take, taking payment and call you by your first name. <laughs> but it has led to some English people saying, do I know you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one. Uh, being punctual is highly valued uh, in British business culture. Arriving on time for meetings and appointments uh, uh, is considered important. It is considered important. Understood. So, British society emphasizes social class and hierarchies. Some stereotypes suggest that the class awareness is reflected in business culture. I'm not so sure about that. I don't think so. Clear. Um, beware of British humor. It is renowned for its wit, irony, and sarcasm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm afraid so. And that's, that's where it can sometimes go horribly wrong. But people don't appreciate that you're joking. Thank you, Anne. Thank you for such a deep um, understanding of the culture and, and um, sharing your experience. That was really interesting. I, I hope it, it helps. I hope it helps.